tuned to more Coney Island and WFMU. I'm your host, Devin Levins, here every Tuesday from 8 to 9 p.m. playing the soundtrack hits. And this week is no exception. We have special, special guests joining us. John Modeski, who composed and performed the new original series score to uh, Showtime's The Curse, which is produced by uh, Nathan Fielder, Benny Safdie, also stars both of them along with uh, Academy Award-winning Emma Stone. Executive produced by Daniel Lopatin. So the album is out digitally, and as I understand, A24 will be releasing vinyl in uh, a short period of time from now. You can pre-order that now through Milan Records' websites. Go to MilanRecords.com, and welcome to the show, John. Thank you. It's good to be here. I guess right off the bat, like I was very excited to see that, that you're scoring films. I know you've done a few over the years. I mean, scoring a TV show. I know you've done some films over the years. And a fan of of the two executive producers, so excited, like, what in the world is this series that's coming up? I was a little bit surprised when I actually watched the first episode that, uh, you know, I was expecting big organs and, um, you know, you're you're primarily associated with a lot of electric keyboards like Rhodes, Wurlitzer, Clavinet, um, even acoustic piano. But it seemed right off the bat, it was very synth heavy. So I was curious, on how did you get involved and how did this instrumentation kind of materialize well daniel and randall dunn who recorded and mixed and you know had a lot to do with putting everything together as well approached me about it and i guess they had talked to benny and nathan and they were into so we all kind of met presented the idea of how they wanted they were doing the show and of course i'm a big fan of nathan's and benny's and daniel's so it was just a matter of, you know, asking what, you know, wondering what they're looking for. But they, it was very clear, like Daniel just made it really clear that he was looking for me to just do what I do, to be myself, you know, and to, and to write music that I was, you know, not to, not that I would be doing, you know, doing anything sort of generic or, and those guys, you know, they were talking about their concept, which was that the music, they wanted the music to like not be programmatic in the way that a lot of film scores are, where the, where the music is, you know, sort of telling you what to feel or, right. or read or re- redefine as well. They wanted the music to be like sort of another observer or to create a different perspective, you know, to, re- you know, rather than to be going along with what's happening in the scene. I'd love that idea. And so I said, of course I said, yes. <laughs> I guess Daniel's a frequent collaborator with Benny Safdie's projects why didn't he compose and it's and he thought of you instead i i have no idea if i have to ask him i mean yeah, yeah. i mean he said that he I mean, you know some of the music they were listening to before was the Alice coltrane some of the stuff that's it you'll know, you hear in the show um sort of her um ashram music mm-hmm. or you know her spiritual music and you know they played that sort of as a reference and i think daniel just knows that i i sort of have that across certain lines there with jazz and free jazz and and yeah you know sort of that kind of music and spiritual you know you know loving you know looking at music from that perspective in general and then also playing keyboards so he 
thought that I would be a good fit for, you know, to compose the music for the show. What kind of keyboards? I, I know that you're a, a, a collector of many, <laughs> many types of keyboards over the years. Um, what did you kind of bring out and focus on for this? Well, I brought out a bunch of like weird old organs that I had, sort of, you know, um, console type organs. You know, there's a little, there's some Hammond on it too, but then, you know, then working with a lot of synthesizers too. Korg Delta was one I used, um, Mini Korg. There was just a lot of, you know, just a lot of synthesizers. Randall and Daniel have a good collection. And I did a lot of the recording at, at Randall's studio. First sessions we did up kind of near where I live, where I have a lot of gear. And it was interesting because, the you know, the music evolved even from the original concept, I think, as because they were sort of, they were shooting at the same time I was writing stuff and they were sending dailies and I was looking and it sort of evolved from what I would say was a more, you know, this idea of, you know, somewhat jazz related in as much as you can say, oh, Alice, Cole, you know, it's hard, I don't, it's hard to put labels on this music, you know. So as much as, you know, Alice Coltrane, you know, has roots in jazz, I feel like, you know, the thing, you know, this was very clear that as the, as the show was developing that the the music needed to go in a slightly different direction. Yeah. The whole f- production is completely unnerving, you know, like it's, it's, uh... I think that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's also, yeah, I, I mean, I, I have seen the show a lot, you know? Yeah. And I, it's, I don't know. It's one of those classics where, it, you know, you see every time you see it, there's new details that come out, whether it's, you know, something about the shot, something about the expressions of the act, you know, the actor or something, or, the lines it's like it's it's very rich right intentionally awkward at times intentionally tense Um, oh (laughs) very intentionally uncomfortable and uh, painful at times i think yeah and it doesn't feel like the music is like in some productions where it's like overly telling the viewer what to feel right you're kind of neutral many times it's not it is intentionally not (laughs) doing that at all and sometimes it's sort of doing it's sort of creating an atmosphere that's the opposite of what is going on. Right. Like the music might be scary in a scene that's funny, you know, just to put it in very basic terms. I know that uh, you you have a compositional background, is that correct, from New England Conservatory initially? Yeah, and- I mean, I've, I've well, I guess I've just, I've written music my whole life. You yeah. know, pl- I've kind of played music my whole life. I started playing classical music when I was a little kid and got into jazz and then, you know, I've been improvising and writing music always. And then I guess since the 90s, you've been known as a pretty prolific, you know, as a touring musician with your various projects as, as an improviser, of course, as well. Are you able to kind of incorporate both in this yeah. project or is it more? Um, oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I, I provided, I would say, a, a lot of material because um, both Nathan and Benny were very involved with you know the music and because yeah i think it's pretty clear from benny's movies how important the music is <laughs> to his films yeah. you know and he's very involved they love music and they have a really strong ideas of what they want stuff to feel like so there was a you know a lot of times i'd provide them with options i mean pretty much for the whole thing a lot of because you know especially when we're taking the idea that the music is not supposed to tell you what's happening it's not supposed to be accompanying or explaining what's going on it's supposed to provide another perspective that you know there's so many different ways you could look at anything so the music they had a lot of different options and you know and would land on what they did for each scene according to what they felt was right there's kind of a, a photo that's been sort of circulating the internet of of you all in the studio with uh, Nathan and and Benny Safdie in there. Were they were they kind of 
in the studio with you a bit or uh, yeah there were a few times i mean are they involved no in they that was, that was the initial that was the initial recording session and you know interestingly because you know like, like i said they were just beginning to shoot the show so you know i did a lot of stuff and you know i guess this is where the for me like improvising is basically spontaneous composition you know, I take it very seriously. And, you know, when, I mean, really, come on, most of the greatest composers were improvisers or known to be, yeah. you know, and so for me, it's like when, I, when I'm improvising, I really consider that, you know, I'm, I'm really thinking about all the same things you would think about as a composer, but I'm doing it immediately in the moment, you know, form, structure, note choice, all that stuff that you can labor over. You know, it's it's a whole other muscle set or a whole other skill to be able to do that in the moment. I mean, I think it all has its benefit. You know, sometimes it's good to be able to like you know, labor over each little note over, you know, a long period of time. And sometimes, you know, you can overthink things and suck the life out of it. You know, it's like it's a balance. So what I did was I definitely play. I did a lot of things that were, you know, sort of improvised in the beginning. You know, it's ideas, you know, playing off of the Alice Coltrane concept as a sort of launching point but like i said honestly a lot of that stuff ended up not getting used and, and the whole thing went in another direction you know incorporated a lot more synthesizers and sounds and yeah. i guess less dense textures you know yeah we're sort of, i was sort of curious because some of the promo materials you know it referenced alice coltrane's taria sings the the cassette yeah. the private label cassette it's like her first, yeah. her first publicly released uh, vocal yeah. album. It was just only on cassette, I think, for her students, right? Um, yeah, originally, yeah. And it's like a, a Wurlitzer organ and her vocals, and then there's supposedly a lost synth track or something somewhere, right? But no one can seem to find it. I guess that that's it. But they also they did another version of that where they added strings to that same recording. But the one they were referencing was the original one where it was just her on an organ. It's so beautiful. Yeah. And I mean, that's also available now. Uh, you know, yeah. Impulse CD reissued too. it properly, right? Um, yeah. But I yeah, guess the yeah, synths were great. never found. So yeah, I was sort of wondering, like, are, no. are there references to, do you guys have access to, like, these lost synth tracks? And there's none of that, right? No. <laughs> it, no, everything was just done more intuitively, I guess, <laughs> on that realm. This is your first foray, as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, into, into TV composing, TV uh, production composing. I know you've done a few films for Frank Ross. And uh, even before that, Jay... Jay and Anaya, yeah. Yeah, Jay and Anaya. And Anaya, yeah. Anaya. And those are pretty sporadic over the last 20 years, I guess. But it looks like you've done some film composing over the years. I've actually seen some of the Frank Ross films. How does wow. this differ from that experience? I know um, that uh, TV, TV can be a little bit more intensive, deadline-wise. <laughs> <laughs> Especially then Showtime is involved. Well, I guess that that was that was an element of how you know what forced us to work the way we did was just the scheduling, you know, because they had they were on a certain schedule. I already had a certain schedule. I guess it informed the way we worked together. I mean, honestly, like this show is not really a TV show. It's like a ten part film. I mean, you yeah. know, the just the, you know the intensity of the depth of it. The I mean, it's really. Yeah, it's really, I think the show's incredible. And um, I mean, they premiered the first three episodes at the film festival in, in New York, Yeah, you know, and this film festival, which they, they said, and I remember the guy, the guy who hosted that night was saying that like, we don't usually put TV shows, no. but this is, you know, this, this show is so beyond that. It's, you know, it's so cinematic. It's, it's a great film. And so in a way it was like, it wasn't really like doing a TV show. All right. Because 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 one of the one one of the ideas was like you know to not have there there's there's not like this re, you know, there's not these recurring there's a few little recurring things but not in the way you think of most TV shows where like you know these certain catch you know trademark little motifs come back 
throughout the entire season, you know, or throughout the entire show. It wasn't like that at all. You're not writing for specific right. characters. Like, this is Emma Stone's theme. This is Nathan Fielder's theme for, that keeps coming back. No, it was more like, you know, it's, like I said, it's this other, this other uh, observer also watching the film, but you know, it's, it's, it's the way it communicates is through sound. <laughs> yeah. I guess I was getting a little bit more towards the, cause most people talk about the pressure of when you're writing for TVs that just the sketch, like the time crunch, because there's 10 episodes. It's a, a lot of music and it tends to be like almost on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis. Are you experiencing that or you have a lot of time? No, I mean, we didn't have a lot of time, but we had, you know, it's very specific. I had times I could go into the studio and work on stuff. They had times that they were working. So, I mean, the way we worked on it, because of the nature of what the soundtrack is, it wasn't about like, you know, syncing everything completely up to, to picture, you know, or aligning with, you know, exactly with certain action moves or activities. You know, it was it was about creating moods, creating atmospheres to pair. It's almost like, a, like the music's almost like a pairing with the show, you know? And so a lot of it was me giving them a lot of different stuff and them trying things out and seeing what worked because they were very involved with how the music came out of the soundtrack. It was done. It was, I think it was, it was done in a very different way than a lot of soundtracks. It wasn't like they licensed the music, which is a whole other way of doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but in some ways this music was treated like that, you know, that they had options and they would, and, you know, sometimes they would, you know, they came they came back into the studio too a couple times and you know we see like well we like this but it needs to be a little different you know yeah. and so we'd work yeah. through and you know and come up with come up with new uh versions and i mean you must have created an incredible amount of music for all of this i mean just the release is 52 yes. tracks right and i'm sure there's more that yeah didn't make the cut or <laughs> there's a lot more i would love to release a second record of the stuff that didn't make the show right well <laughs> and i'm only you know the it's only aired halfway through so who knows where it's going but uh Maybe perhaps there's a I second season involved, you know, at one point. I have no idea where this is going. I <laughs> don't, I doubt it. Uh-oh. <laughs> I think this is a more, this is like, this is like a, this is a sort of just like a one work kind of thing, <laughs> I, I, I think. And, but you never know. They all, you know, second seasons happen all the time with these shows. Yeah. And so you enjoy the process, I assume, the TV version. I with, did. With Showtime maybe breathing over your neck a little bit. and um, I do. To be honest, like I was very buffered from Showtime by... <laughs> Between between Betty and Nathan, and then also Randall, because Randall, you know, was was there for all the recordings, and then sending them mix mix mixes and sort of handling, you know, sort of a producer role, you know. Yeah. I mean, Daniel was the executive producer, and and you know, and quite frankly, is the one who got me the gig, so to speak, you know, which I really appreciate, and it, you know, and it was a blast to work with both of them because they're both it's like you know really creative artists, you know. Did um did your work with like Frank Ross is that is that something that got you in the, it seems like they they travel in the same kind of area a little bit you know the safties and, well um, I, what's interesting is and i would say also with jay is just all of these directors whatever whatever you want to call it, you know whatever they are the directors producers screenwriters they are very very attached to and involved with the music it's very very important like Jay will actually cut scenes to the music, you know, like he'll like the music almost some in some places comes first. And then with Jay, it was about like going into the studio with him and recording a bunch of music. And then he kind of, it was never like two picture. Mm. He didn't want to do it that way. He wanted the music to be its thing. And then he like, you know, like I said, he would, he would cut to it or yeah, you know, you know, the music would be part of the inspiration for the atmosphere of the film. I haven't seen the Jay films, but the Frank, the two of the three Frank Ross films that I've seen, as I recall, it's solo piano, right? That's what he wanted. Yeah, yeah. solo piano. 
Yeah, yeah. So very, very. Yeah, and those were those those were done. Those were all done to picture. Those. Yeah. But in the studio with him, with him there, very hands on. You know. Oh, in the moment. And I actually like that. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yes, yes. But the composing and you know, definitely working things out. You know, but just you know, I guess for me that's like part of it. And you know, you hear stories of a lot of these film composers just sitting down and watching it and playing something on the piano and then having their people transcribe transcribe it. There's something about being in that moment you can really catch something yeah. and then go back and you know fine tune it and refine it, you know, to just to get that initial emotional impulse is sometimes really good. So like Day on Fire back in two thousand six with Jay, was that your first feature length film score that you ever composed? You know, I am not good with dates. It might have been. I don't know if the Frank Russ stuff was before that or it was all around the same time. Yeah, it's all kind of around the same time, I guess. I don't I don't I honestly don't remember. Yeah. I mean, I think the first, my our first foray was like with Vanessa Martin Wood. We uh, you know, but we just had you know we had you know a couple a track show up here and there. We wrote a track for Vim Vendor's film. And I think before that it was like working with John Lurie on like Manny and Low and you know, just but that was all music it also be, get shorty yeah know, get shorty you had it you had some stuff in there play all over that yeah but yeah but you know because i play on the whole soundtrack because you know I'm, I'm in the band that john laurie put together but that was you know his music he composed the music very much to picture all you know ready to go yeah that's what i was i was curious about is that i i kind of assume that you probably have all kinds of uncredited session musician uh soundtrack works over the I years probably, you know, yeah, like have... the john laurie the evan laurie I definitely have some, and I can't ever remember. I mean, even even as far back as you know, whatever in the in the late '80s when I was in Boston, you know, when I would, when I did more quote unquote session work. You know, there's definitely I did a, a bunch of films, played on some film scores back then too. I'm not there, the Bob Dylan, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of tracks. Those oh are yeah, great. yes, and then there's that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, God, I forgot about that. <laughs> I mean, for you know, for me, it's like I, I, you know, I love, I love films, I love film music. It's a, it's a, it's a strange. I think where you you were. What you what you were saying about deadlines and things like that? It's a strange world right now. The film music, what you have to do to break into that world, I just did not cut out to do that. So when something like this comes along, that it's just a perfect fit, it's great. Like I don't think I have what it takes to. You're not actively pursuing it. It finds you. I am not pursuing it at all. I'm you know I'm not at all. But I love it, and I, I you know I think honestly like the. A lot of the music that I've done as either in, with, with my band, Medeski Martin Wood, or as a, I guess all the music I do, there, you know, there's a, there's just a cinema, cinematic quality to the music itself, you know? Yeah, that's why I was surprised. When I looked up your credits, I was, I was expecting just a ton, you know, e either as collaboratively with the band, Medeski Martin Wood, or on your own. I would just think it's the keyboard that, you know, these film film guys, they always find the keyboardist of these bands and, and ask if they want to work on their their small project or whatever i would just and but but i do know you have to be on many many recordings over the years that uh yeah you know you're not i mean i can say for me it's like i i love playing music you know and i really i really am i feel like whatever my mission my thing here is to play instrument you know it's instrumental music the, you know using the language of music as the means to communicate and I love playing for people, playing live. You know, that's kind of, I also love recording. I mean, I love it all, you know, but I just feel like that's sort of what I what I do. And I haven't, I guess, bent over in the way you need to, to do <laughs> film scores. You know, uh, you know, stuff has come my way, sort of larger films that I've been considered for. It's always in the end, like the producer one goes, ends up going with some Hollywood um, guarantee. 
or somebody who's already who has you know who already has or he you know they have <laughs> they have a reputation they already have a, uh they did a lot a lot of you know executive producers don't want to take chances and they just don't invest what they used to i mean you probably know this they don't invest what they used to in film no in film scores yeah it used to be 10 percent of the budget go to the music we're talking a long time ago and now it's like it's really kind of crazy oh nickel and dime you know <laughs> how they yeah how they nickel and dime the musicians to get the music or you know they just and then there's the licensing world which there's some great there's some great soundtracks with licensing but i mean i'm still a sucker for the for the old score you know yeah one kind of odd release is like over i don't know probably 15 years ago when i started off the show uh, I, i'm always looking for angles to bring on musicians who uh, you know i appreciate and i'm a fan of you know so if they if i see something that's a release that's somehow in the film or tv world or music for the moving image i look for these angles to bring people on but um may, at least 15 years ago or maybe longer a recording kind of landed in my sphere um the stan douglas suspiria do you recall that it's like i think it was a video installation oh, or something and you created no definitely i absolutely do i mean that that's what i guess that's what we can i guess that's a soundtrack of sorts <laughs> well written you for know, the moving was, image is my uh it's kind of my hook yeah no it, yeah well definitely that was written for the moving image and that you know it's stan douglas is a is i mean he, he's a video artist so his stuff is not like in the movie theaters yeah, that was a, that was a really fun project. You know, it was incredible. Stan's an amazing artist, an amazing visionary. You know, and I mean, the idea of that soundtrack was that it didn't repeat for like it was it was it's hard to explain. It was designed you know where the elements could all be you know exchanged with each other and used so that like the no piece of music repeated itself for over 24 hours or for about 24 hours. So maybe this would use the same drum track or the same bass line, but with a different melody. So all the pieces had to kind of like work on top of each other. Yeah. So it was kind of like this interlocking puzzle. And it was based on, I guess, the color scheme textures of um, Suspiria. And I think he was using the Grimm's fairy tales as part of the, and, and it, it was the same with the film. The film would not repeat itself. It had different themes and different, but they could go like in different directions and, it was definitely like this, you know, evolving twenty-four hour film, basically. That would not, you know, would would nothing. I mean, you know, it have you know, one scene had like you know options where it could go, and the music would have the same options to go in different places. So it was, it was really interesting. Where was the installation for that? That's a good question. Did it travel, or was it in one place only? I think it was just one. It was just one time. It was just one time. Yeah. Like in Germany or somewhere. I think so. And have you continued to collaborate with with him? No, I've never done anything else with him. But um, yeah, that was that was a, that was a really fun period. You know, I worked with um, you know, he because you know, the engineer Scott Harding, Scotty Hard, yeah. who has produced a bunch of records with the, with for us. Works with the Vijay Iyer's. Worked with Teo Macero, Wu Tang. He's um, yeah, right. He's amazing. He's amazing. But um, so we worked on it together. It was like you know, that was fairly. That was a very epic thing. It was a very epic um production. You know, trying to you know make all that stuff work and line up. And you were born in Louisville. Kentucky and you grew I was born in Louisville. Did you spend much time there before? I grew up in South Florida. Yeah. No, I just spent you know, I was just born. I was I was born there and um adopted there at like six weeks old and grew, you know, spent a, a couple years in Wheaton, Illinois, outside Chicago, and then grew up in Pompano Beach, Florida. Yeah. So then I went then I went up then I went I went to school in um Boston. Went to doing a conservatory in Boston. In Florida, as a teen, you somehow encountered and performed with uh, Jocko Pistorius. Is that true? <laughs> I did. Yeah, it is. How true. does that come about to a teenager? Well, 
I mean, I was, like I said, you know, I think I was like five or six. I started taking classical piano mm-hmm. and just through my school, you know, my whatever elementary school, junior high school, I started playing. You know, I wanted to play jazz, you know, the jazz. But actually, no, I think what happened was I started playing, you know, I was playing classical music, but then I started to like look into the music that my parents were listening to. You know, which was like old standards, jazz, that era. And I wanted to play some of that stuff. So I would, you know, I was looking at, you know, checking out, which of course that a lot of that stuff came from soundtracks and things like that. So I would, you know, check, learn these songs, but most of it was reading music, you know, and I would um, check out like people like Peter Nero, Frankie Carl, Roger Williams, a sort of that sort of universe. And then I heard, you know, I think I heard the for the first time I heard jazz, you know, I heard it was Oscar Peterson or something like that. And my mind kind of exploded. And so I started studying jazz, you know, I think I found it, this amazing teacher, this woman, Lee Shaw, who was actually a student of Oscars. And I started studying with her um, when I was 11 and started studying jazz. She started teaching me, you know, basics, you know, the theory, piling me up with records because we used to listen to records back then and cassettes of jazz. You just inundating myself with that music. And um, that's how you had to learn solos and stuff, right? <laughs> or, or transcribe heads. Yeah. And then, at, at, <laughs> yeah. And at that, at, yeah, and at that time, um, you know, I would say, you know, somewhere around that time, you know, I had a band director who was very supportive and he threw me into, a, you know, an AP music theory class, H, you know, 18th century counterpoint class when I was, you know, like seventh, eighth grade. And um, so it was like a college class. So I, you know, I started, you know, studying theory like that back then. I was involved in musical theater. I mean, I had, I was part of a theater group and then they found out I played piano. And then next thing you know, I was just accompanying everybody on everything. And then I wrote two musicals back then. So I sort of had been doing a lot of different things. And uh, you know, all around this, basically, my dad, you know, I would play, I would just play, I said yes to everything and anything. And would just, if I didn't know how to do it, I tried to figure it out, you know. And so I ended up uh, playing with a band, a trio, with a bass player who I still have, you know, have gotten back in touch with. His name is Charles Norcus, also known as Chuck Doom, who's, you know, making some music now and um, really cool stuff. And we had a trio and we would play at this club. I mean, I was underage, you know, at the Musicians Exchange. And but they they would let me in and we was electric. I played electric piano, electric bass, and drums. And the drummer was Jocko's brother-in-law. And um, Chuck was a good you know friend of Jocko's. And so Jocko would come down and join, you know, sit in wow. like when he was off. This was kind of during the end of Weather Report, the beginning, you know, uh, when he almost started, you know, starting on his solo stuff. And he would just come and sit in with us and then just take over and play the whole night. So we played a lot. He invited me down to play like um, so. They, the, the same club got a piano finally, and they would do these afternoon. They try. They, they attempted an afternoon sort of jazz thing that didn't last very long. But it was Jocko and he and I came down as we played standards and stuff like that. And then, yeah, I think probably when I was 16 or so, he asked me to go on the road with him, with his band. And my mom was like, nope, you're not doing that. So uh, I didn't get to do that. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I thought I would have heard about that if if that happened. No, that did happen. My mom was like, <laughs> no. She was like, you know, he was, you know, he was definitely, you know, yeah. Well, he was known around there too, right? As he was getting, he was starting to get his re- his infamous reputation was beginning at that time. Around that you know. time, and that's that's where we kind of lost him, right? Eventually, down in Florida. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was like so that. he was so he was so good to me. Yeah, yeah, Miami. I think, but yeah, he, he was so good to me. You know, very supportive. He would sit. You know, he would sit. You know, he'd hang out. I mean, really, even beyond that, it was just like, just to have that 
musically to have that experience at that time and that and that you know for him to be so generous with me like you know he'd sit down and make you know he'd make me play beethoven for him and then he'd then sit down and he'd you know just do his he had a very amazing harmonic beautiful concept sort of gospel jazz modern and he would just sit down he'd sit down and play and show me stuff and yeah so it was, it was really nice. But when yeah. you went to New England Conservatory, you weren't leaning on your jazz. You weren't going there for jazz studies. It was more classical. Okay. We're talking 80. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking 83. Okay. So there weren't the bevy of jazz schools back no. then. They really, they weren't that common. There were a couple of schools that had jazz. There was Manhattan School of Music. Not Manhattan School of Music. Um, it, but um, Eastman, Eastman School of Music had a jazz program. New England Conservatory had a jazz program. And... My folks, as supportive as they were for my entire life, I think were a little terrified. And I really just wanted to move to New York and start playing music, you know, but they were like really worried about that, terrified of that, and really wanted me to, you know, get a degree. They thought that would do something, you know, <laughs> little did they know. <laughs> but um, so I basically just applied to a bunch of schools as a classical. You know, I basically applied to, you know, all those schools. I applied to, you know, Eastman, Juilliard, doing a conservatory, Cincinnati Conservatory. I got into all of them as a classical major. So I then it came down to going to the different schools and checking them out. The idea of going to Juilliard would be like, hey, I got to go to school here and then I can do jazz in New York City, you know, find whatever. And Eastman also had a jazz program and there was, there was you know, but the programs were not very integrated and the conservatory had had the most integrated uh music programs like like if you were a classical major you could still audition for the jazz big band you could still mm -hmm. like it was so i chose the conservatory plus it was boston a little less hairy than new york from my parents point of view <laughs> so that's yeah so that's where i went and i you know I was a first year as a classical major and then i immediately realized this is not what i want to do you know i was i love the music i loved the music but I just, I'm like, I do, I just knew that this, I didn't, <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you know that world. It's a strange world to, you know, it's a difficult world. And, and I was just like, you know, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to perform this music. I, you know, I love playing and I want to listen, but I, you know, I wanted to do my own music. And at that time I was playing a lot of jazz. So I just, yeah. So I switched majors after my first year, I was having some issues with tendonitis and stuff. So it was kind of like, a, it was sort of an epic forced change of direction for me into doing my own music. And so you, know? you switched to what, the composition or is that? Jazz composition. I switched over to the third, third stream. No, I switched over to the, what was what we call the third stream program, which yeah. I think now is the creative improvisers. I don't know. They changed the name to it. I should know what it is, but I can't remember CIA or something. Um, but which is kind of perfect, right? I mean, it's the the fusion of improvisational and well, composed classical music. And it was and yeah, absolutely and it basically at you know the, their whole approach was. Yeah, you can do anything you want. You can if you if you want to if you love punk music and you love you know you know what you know anything. Mm. You, the idea is to like really dive into the music that really speaks to you, and but all through ear training, like really absorbing the music. And you know, Ram Blake was head of the department at that time. I'm not sure if he is now, but he mm. was then, and he's an incredible piano player. And he was talk about being into soundtracks. He, you know, he was a film freak and like, you know, he, you know, he did a whole, you know, did a whole solo piano thing based on vertigo. He just like, you know, he loved, he loved the cinematic music. He loved his music to have that element. He, you know, he had, you know, his, his music had very, you know, motivic, you know, in his own kind of amazing creative way. His music was very much based on images and people and personalities. And, you know, he would, 
you know, create melodies and chords that, you know, reminded him of those things. So I worked with him there, you know, so I basically finished out the school in that program. It was very painful. (laughs) And it was, the goal was to get eventually down to New York City after you graduated or (sighs) you didn't know what you wanted to do or? It wasn't my goal. I mean, I guess it was all, New York was always on the horizon, but I, yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to, my goal, the goal is to play music. I was just doing it. That's all I did, you know, 24 seven. And it's same thing, all different kinds of music. And the thing about being at the conservatory, there was, an, you know, there are performances of Leggetti, of Charles Ives, all this, incre- you know, there's performances of incredible music there to go see string quartets. You know, it's, it's just such an, it's, it's such a good environment to be in. And then I was playing with, you know, a lot of jazz sessions. There was, there was a serious cross-pollination between Berkeley School of Music and the conservatory. So playing with a lot, and there were also a lot of great musicians there at that time, playing with everybody. And then I got into a blues band to make money. <laughs> You know, I played with uh, like a seven nights a week. And that's kind of how I got into playing organ was through that band, mm. Hammond Organ. You know, I didn't really have a goal to go anywhere. I think by the time I by the time I was getting close to graduating, my goal was to love music again and get <laughs> because, you know, you go through that. You go through a lot. Of, it ruined it. For well, you. I think it happens to a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people get out of it. Music suddenly becomes this other thing than whatever the original reason you fell in love with it. I mean, you know, you, yeah. I mean, you're yeah. doing the show because you love music, yeah. you know, for you really love it, you know. And I think when you get caught up in like trying to learn how to play, learn how to, you know, study all this stuff, you get, you can get really in your head and you forget that original impulse, that original thing that made you want to play music in the first place. And some people never get it back, you know. I, yeah. so I, I, I sort of realized that I saw myself like becoming very judgy about music, very critical. And I sort of had to reboot my brain. And remember that first and foremost, music is good. <laughs> right. And maybe certain stuff I don't like and certain stuff, you know, is like nails on a blackboard to me, but maybe to somebody else, it's spitting their soul into a dance party. I don't know. You know, it's, it's so I just had to really get back in touch with that. And I think being in that program, the third stream program at that time, it was all about personal style. You know, what is about you finding your personal style. So, you know, all that put together just got me into, uh, yeah, just sort of trying to figure out who I am. You know, not you know, yeah, I'm not a jazz guy, right? right? Really, I mean, if you know, what I'm got not. what got you down there then to to New York? Well, I think you know, I I moved to I moved out to the country. I moved out to the Berkshires from the school. I kind of because I I basically needed more trees than people. That was my thing. Okay, I got to get out of the city. I moved out there. I love being in nature. Blah blah blah. And then New York City just sucked me in. You know, I met. So I was just meeting. You know, I would go down there to play. I used to play at the Village Gate, this club there. I do these two week stints there, a duo gigs and bass and piano. And it just like the allure. I mean, the, the allure of it just it just sucked me in. I was you know so by like eighty nine, I was had a, a room in a place in Flatbush in Brooklyn and this little attic of a cabin in the Berkshires. I had both of those for 500 bucks a month. It was a pretty good, it was a different time. Yeah. It was a very different time. And then, you know, so, you know I mean, it's like, sort of like New York just magnetized me, you know, it's kicking and screaming to try to stay in the country. I just got sucked in. And that was the time, too, that like the New York downtown scene, Knitting Factory was getting more more attention and it was and full on attracting it was it, full on i mean it yeah. was, it, you were there at the right place at the right time yeah and the reason it was getting it the reason it was getting attention is because so much had already happened you know you know zorn the lounge lizards you know for so you know all dna all those bands all that stuff that, that scene had really kind of it yeah it was in its it was in its prime and so yeah suddenly i'm going you know i started and that was an interesting thing too because you know i went to new york and and i thought i'm i'm going to be a jazz musician you know and i went to uh and i've told this story before but like i went to a 
jam session at either Visiones or some some club where it was like you know and I remember just you know getting you know because you just it's basically like a everybody's just in line to go up and play you know so I got up and I get on the piano and the horn players come up and like what was pretty wild was I'm playing we're playing a standard I don't I don't remember what tune it is you're playing a jazz tune a standard I don't know what it was and like the horn player I realized the horn players aren't even listening to what I'm playing they're just you know, crazy. They're just they're just playing whatever they practice in their practice room, <laughs> you know. And worse, okay, they don't need to listen to me. That's fine. But they weren't listening to the drummer, hmm. you know. And if you're not listening to the drums when you're playing jazz or any music, something's wrong. Yeah. And yeah, it was really weird. So I just it just turned me off so much. And then the downtown scene was so ripe, you know. And people were doing it, it. Just felt so creative, and people were expressing themselves, and they were really improvising. And it just again, just that's what that's what attracted me. In the cross-pollination of like the most trained person, maybe from New England Conservatory or Ju Juilliard, could be in a project with an electronic, experimental electronic noise artist or a punk rocker from Japan yeah. or... Yeah, and you know, and one of the things that we did was we did, um, you know, we would do like these silent movie live soundtracks, which were really cool, you know. So yeah, anyway, it was that, you know, it yeah. was a fun time. Just last question, anything on the horizon on the soundtrack realm or anything else? I know I saw you're playing a few things at Big Ears in March. Yeah, I've got a bunch of stuff. There's nothing on the soundtrack realm. We'll see if, you know, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm definitely open to it. This is going to lead to something, I think. So well, if it does, <laughs> I mean, I would love to, but like I said, you know, it's like, it's. I, I just, uh, at this point in my life, it has to be, it has to be right. You know, it has to be, like, this felt really right, you know, to do this with those guys because, yeah. you know, it was just like, and, you know, yeah, I don't know. It was a great show, great concept, nothing. I mean, they, they, I know for a fact that they worked and pushed really hard to have every aspect of that show from beginning to end to every scene be exactly what they wanted it to be, which right. is not easy to do, as you can imagine, with network or whatever, showtime, you know, these kind of, these places, they have a lot of, they put a lot of pressure, you know, I think for things to be a certain way. And the, and those guys, they just pushed it through to be what it is, which is kind of amazing. Yeah, I'm excited about it to see the, the remainder of the season. And um, oh, yeah, are you, are you, you uh, we're watching every Friday. Are you able to, I don't, I've, oh, good, because I have friends who like, I can't watch this anymore. <laughs> I have people, I have people who are like, you know, love it and you know i love it <laughs> and i have other friends who are like oh it's you know it's so good but i just can't, I, can't watch I get it. i get that but um yeah it's just it's you just gotta watch it i mean i love uh the awkwardness of nathan fielder you know in his past productions too i've i've, I've followed him yeah. from the, the beginning but um like that i don't i'm sure you saw his appearance with emma stone on um Kimmel, did you see that? Yeah, I mean that's. Oh yeah, that's the yes. Funny. I watched it twice. I was like laughing louder the second time. <laughs> yeah, no, oh yeah. Well, I, mean, I feel like having, like I can say, having worked on this show, I've seen the scenes a lot. As I said earlier, I've seen it a lot, and it gets better with every watch, <laughs> Re which you can't say about a lot of things. You know, once you've seen it, you're like, oh, I've seen it. This thing is like, ah, oh, it's so good. It keeps getting better, and and Emma Stone is unbelievable in it. I mean, yeah, oh yeah. She's incredible. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, it's like, oh, it's really. And again, having watched it a bunch of times. And, and Benny's funny. Oh, he's, ben he's also, he's incredible. <laughs> really great. He's so, oh, he's so good. I didn't, the funny thing is, like, I didn't realize it was him. Uh, me neither. When I first was watching the dailies. Yeah. I didn't know it was him. I, and he, I was like, who's playing? You know, who's this playing? Guy. Yeah. And, and, and Benny's like, that's me. And I was like, oh, geez, I totally missed that. Yeah, because it was. Uh, I could see yeah, that. it's 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 profoundly it's profoundly uncomfortable in the most 
in the best way. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited to see where it goes and excited to see what uh, next potential film or television score perhaps finds its way to you. Yeah, me too. And thanks so much for your time. Well, thanks. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Thank you and so much. And I guess much. the best way to get in touch with you is johnmedeski.com to keep up on your latest and greatest next releases and tourings and live dates yep. and things. Okay. johnmedeski.com. That is the best way. And go to milanrecords.com for uh, pre-ordering the new record on A24. And thanks again. Yeah, and the vinyl will be coming. The vinyl will be coming out too. Short. So if you're a vinyl fan, check out the vinyl on A24. <laughs> yep. All right. Thanks again, and uh, keep in touch. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. 